When people first hear about modern slavery and the millions caught up in it, often they're overwhelmed by the statistics, they're heartbroken by the brutality and the violence of modern slavery, and they literally don't know what to do about fellow human beings being exploited for profit. One of the survivors that we worked with a few years ago said to me, Ben, I didn't need someone to cry about this issue. I needed someone to do something about it. That's what we've built here in Hope for Justice, a thought through professional response to the issue of modern day slavery. Hope for Justice has a home and abroad strategy. Wherever modern slavery exists, we are committed to stamping it out. The best way to do that is to prevent it from happening in the first place. That's why we work with women in some of the poorest parts of the world, giving them the tools and education they need to protect their families. Our staff work with street children who are so vulnerable to predatory traffickers. We give these children the support and schooling that they need and get them back safely to their families. We rescue victims. Our specialist teams identify victims of sex trafficking, of forced labor, and domestic servitude. We build bridges of trust and get them to safety. But rescue isn't an event, it's a process. It's where restoring lives begins. At our aftercare facilities, where highly trained staff provide trauma-informed care, from immediate crisis intervention to long-term education and vocational learning. For our adult survivors, we advocate on their behalf to get them the support that they need to make the most of the new opportunities that freedom brings. The goal is always restoration and reintegration. Abolishing slavery for good depends on reforming society. We are working with businesses, with governments, with the public, raising awareness, improving legislation, training thousands to spot the signs and to respond. Creating nations and societies hostile to modern slavery, where it will no longer be tolerated. Our team are changing lives and ending slavery. Investigators drawn from prestigious law enforcement agencies like the FBI and Greater Manchester Police lawyers and social workers with years of experience who are with the survivor for every step of the journey towards restoration. Educators who specialize in trauma-informed care, outreach workers who engage directly with those who are the hardest to reach, training teams who share our expertise with other professionals, self-help group leaders who go out into their own communities to make a real difference. All of them share one aim, because Hope for Justice is part of a movement of people who refuse to live in a world where human beings are treated as commodities and sold in front of their own eyes. We refuse to live in a world where the bodies of men, women and children are used for profit, forced to work, made to cook and clean as domestic slaves or pushed into the sex trade. We're creating a world where children are free to be educated, run and play. Parents can provide for their families, that businesses are upstanding in society, that governments protect the poor. When we decide enough is enough, things change. I believe in the power of when we use our voice for things that matter. I believe it echoes out into the darkest places of our communities. I believe it 
because I've seen it. I've seen the goodness of humanity. I've seen the end of slavery. I saw it in the first girl that we rescued. In my mind, we already live in a world free from slavery. Just history hasn't caught up yet. Awesome. So good. Well, uh, you know, uh, we've been able to do so many great things, uh, you know, uh, whether that be the nearly 6,000 women in our self-help groups that meet every week, whether that be over 2,000 children in our lighthouse short-term residential treatment centers last year alone, um, whether it be over 1,000 children that we took safely back to their parents since the first time they were exploited last year. Um, but you might have seen, actually, we operate not only internationally, uh, but we operate here. And uh, you might have seen in the news just recently that we were able to take down the largest gang in British history. Uh, um, over 400 victims um, uh, operated here, but we were able to, through our investigators and our advocacy and our support workers, not only were we able to rescue them, we were able to support them through all the way through to prosecution. And, uh, we saw it all the way down from the UK, all the way down to Poland, every single component broken down. There's two things I love about that. It says in Psalm 72, for he will deliver the needy and those that are trapped in violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. And the other thing is in Psalm 9, it says, for I the Lord am known by my justice. And uh, I love the fact that we're getting freedom and justice uh, to people in slavery. Just a few things just to kind of uh, promote. I've got a book called Impossible is a Dare. If you want to know about the story of hope for justice, some of the lives that have been transformed and, and brought into freedom and hope and liberty, uh, this is a great book for you to just read to understand the star of hope for justice and how uh, you've played your part in making that happen, Impossible is a Dare. And just recently I brought out a new book called Relentless Pursuit. If you've got a vision for your life and uh, um, you, you've got a plan for your life, which I hope that you do, um, this book's got some of the learning from me and others that have um, put into their uh, own words uh, lessons that they've learned along their journey of uh, leading. We've got people like Rend Collective, Natalie Grant in there, also got Sir Brian Suter, founder of Stagecoach, the bus company. Uh, people like that have put their leadership lessons in there to help you be a healthier version of yourself. What was that, Craig Rochelle? The spark of inspiration you need. Oh my gosh, thank you. I didn't want to say the... Uh... Right, if you got your Bibles, you got Bibles, uh, I want you to turn to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Uh, so to put some context into this, um, uh, 1 Kings 19 comes after 1 Kings 18. Uh, you know, I do math in church today. Uh, it's awesome. And 1 Kings 18 talks about Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet. He uh, spent his time going around teaching about what was God, God was saying in that time, in that era. And uh, Elijah um, got challenged by the prophets of Baal. And they were like, your God isn't the real God. And he was going, yes, they are. And he was like, no, your God isn't the real God. And I know that like that was an American accent there. It was terrible. In fact, someone actually came up to me after the sec and said, are you from America? I was like, I do declare. <laughs> God is so good. Worship Him all the time. Amen. Uh, but prophets of Baal were saying that Elijah's God was not the real God. I mean, you get challenged all the time, I'm sure, with your life, with what you give your time to, what you give your finance to, 
whether your family says, why are you going to church again? You know, why are you giving that money? Why are you sowing into that? Why do you keep on giving? Why do you keep on giving your time? Why are you going to life group? Are you kidding me? It's midweek. What are you doing? You went to church on Sunday, you know? And they keep on challenging the authenticity of your God. And you, like Elijah, you go to the go-to challenge that all Christians got. I know you do it, right? The, you know the stick challenge. You know where you get the... Guys, you know. I mean, don't pretend that you don't know. You know. I know that you know that I know that you know. The sticks, where you get the sticks out and you like go, whoever's God is a real God is going to set the sticks on fire. I mean, it's a go-to challenge for all us Christians. And so he got the sticks out and the prophets of Baal started dancing around the sticks and they were like, come on, do it. Set it on fire. I can't believe it. I, I do declare God is so... Oh, stop it, Ben. Right. And they were like, set it on fire, do it. Do it. And it didn't happen. And Elijah, it talks about him being, uh, he mocks them and he starts like, oh no, see, you're, you're weak. You don't even know who your God is. And he's so confident in his God. Hey, I kind of just say something. I'll say it again. He was so confident in his God. The Bible says, don't throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. There's something about your confidence being thrown away. You do that. You throw your confidence away. You, you start downplaying the miracle. You start saying it won't happen. According to your faith, it shall be done. That's right. There's something about your faith that creates a miracle. And so here in this moment, he created the confidence so much so that he poured the water over it. And then he said in front of everyone, he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, this day, let it be known that thou art God. Fire came down. That's right, Luke, it did. I mean, it's in the Bible. We all read it. We're like, yeah, of course it happened, right? The fire came down. But can you just, let's pause. Let's sailor. Let's just like imagine right now if I let out the sticks, poured water in right now in front of you, and the fire came down. You'd be like, Ben, you know I gave into this building offering? Do you know how much money you were burning? And the fire came down and the miracle happened. Have you ever had that miracle? Well, like literally just God came through. I remember when my dad got the diagnosis for cancer and I was like, but God, he's still alive. He defied all the odds. He beat cancer. You know why? Because many of the troubles are the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him from all of them. Come on, man, we worship a God of miracles. He's the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. He is a miracle God. And the fire came down. And then we reached this point just after that where everyone was amazed. Everyone was in awe of the fact that the fire came down and Elijah was so motivated, he went and killed them all. And now I was gonna talk on that, but like Pastor Luke, he said, hey, don't do it because I'm, I'm putting a whole 10 part series on why Elijah had to kill the prophets with a sword. It's amazing. Guys, lean in, because no takers are history makers, so I want to be seeing your notes. Remember to hashtag me in. It's uh, hashtag Ben Cooley. I do declare. <laughs> so then, Elijah's come from this great miracle, right? If you ever had that great miracle? And Ahab, who was with the prophets of Baal, he went to Jezebel and told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all her prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. 
And Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. And he came to Bathsheba in Judah and he left his servant there. He isolated himself. And he sat down under a broom bush. And he said, I've had enough. Some translations say, it is enough. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. I was an opera singer uh, for several years. I used to sing this moment, but you probably don't want me to sing it, do you? I mean, gosh. I mean, seriously, guys, that was like a negative response. Like, I, actually, I think I actually heard a boo. <laughs> boo! <laughs> It's hilarious. I was actually one of this was one guy. No. Okay, I will then. I was going to anyway. It's part of the routine. I'm a visiting preacher. I decided. It is enough. Oh Lord, now take away my life. For I am not better than my fathers. Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I can't carry it. What you've asked me to do is too much. I can't do it. Like, I can't carry these people. I can't carry this vision. Have you ever said it? Have you ever sat under that tree and said, it's enough? Do you know what? This is your last chance, God. I'm not doing it anymore. I can't carry it anymore. What are you trying to do? To live a holy life? Are you kidding me? Do you know how hard it is nowadays with social media and all the expectations on my life? I'm done. Well, hopefully this message will be able to help you. I'll pray. Anyway, I hope. Anyway. I don't know what your destination is with your life. I don't know what you want to do with your life. I have no idea. I've never met you before. But I want to tell you what my destination is, where I'd love to get to with my life, is I don't want to live in a world where children are sold into sexual exploitation. I don't want to live in a world where they are forced to service man after man. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where men are forced to work in factories against their will, in bright back-breaking, grueling hours, in factories not far from here. We rescued 33 people from a factory that were making beds for two of the largest retailers here in the UK. I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where women are forced to service men after men, night after night, town after town. They are told that they're a piece of meat to be dribbled over, drooled over by, by, by mankind and how they are forced to do unspeakable acts. I don't want to live in that world. No, my friend, I want to live in a world where children are born to live in freedom, play and dance and be educated and told that they are a message to the future. I want to live in a world where men are told that they can be men of valour and they are told that they can be all that God has created them to be. I want to live in a world where women are told that they are precious, that they are loved, that they have got a bright and glorious future. I want to live in a world free from slavery. That's my destination. I don't know where your destination is, but can I tell you something? Hey, you need one. You need purpose in your life. You need vision in your life. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. But where there is vision, people flourish. What's your vision for your life? Maybe that's something you should write down now. What is my vision for my life? Remember, note takers are history makers. But there's always a journey to get to, to a vision. There's always a, 
a process. And I want to tell you about a journey I went on a few years ago. A few of my friends, we were gathered around a table and uh, we were talking about how do we fund our third office? And we used to call our offices after some of the people that we rescued. The first office that we sent out into Bradford was called Emma's Hub. The second office that we were funding in the Midlands was going to be called Zoe's Hub after Zoe, the girl that we rescued from Latvia to Southampton. And some of us were gathered around the table. Some of us were well, not me, but others were celebrities, some of which were on Emmerdale and such highbrow British drama like that. And, um, and uh, one of the guys, we, we were saying, how do we do it? How do we raise nearly 300,000 pounds? How do we do it? One guy said, we should do a marathon. I was like, no. Marathons are from the devil. It says so in the Bible. Pretty certain. Someone said we should do a cake sale. That was me because I can do Victoria Sponge like a champ. I don't know if any of you have had Costco Victoria Sponge, but I'm telling you right now, glory, hallelujah. It says in the Bible, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm preaching right now to somebody. Somebody needs to. <laughs> and then someone said we should cycle from Land's End to John O'Groke's. And I was like, well, everyone does that, right? I mean, Land's End to John O'Groke's. And then I had this idea. We should cycle from Latvia to Southampton, the journey of Zoe and like everyone's like, yeah, that's awesome. And the guys who have hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers started when Twitter was cool, started putting out like, like, yeah, we're doing this and we're doing it in this certain time period. And at that point in time, I thought Latvia was next to France. <laughs> Turns out it's not. Turns out it's next to Russia, which is like 1,900 miles away. And we'd already agreed that we're going to do it in 19 days and... We did 2,715 kilometers in 19 days. And we started getting like all these like invites to go and speak on like all the nationals, the good mornings and all this sort of stuff. And I remember being on one of them and like all the celebrities were being interviewed and then there was me just right on the edge. And they said, hey Ben, you're the CEO of the charity that they're cycling for. And I was like, yes, yes ma'am, yes I am. And they said, you know, like literally like you're cycling more miles than the Tour de France in less days. How does that make you feel? I was like, I'm what? They're like, no, you're cycling more. No, no, I heard you. I, uh, I think I feel sick. Um, uh, it's amazing how people can frame something that you're doing in a context that causes fear. And uh, it totally did. And so we got started sponsorship. We got given like, uh, like bikes, like 18,000 pound bikes. We start giving like Lycra and Lycra. Let's talk about Lycra. You know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Lycra doesn't. It exposes it, you know? And some of you right now are mammals. I know what you think. What are mammals? Middle-aged men in Lycra. Stop it. That's a word from the Lord. Hey, I just saw a wife look to her husband and she was like, you, this is a word for you. You look gross in Lycra. Okay, in Jesus' name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we got to Latvia and we, we, we cycled through Latvia in a day and I was thinking, that's awesome. I got through Latvia in a day and then I got through Lithuania and I was like, then we got to Poland and I don't know if you've ever seen Poland. Poland is massive, right? And I was like getting bored of cycling. I was thinking, oh, I don't want to do cycling anymore. And then like I see a wild wolf running next to me dribbling and suddenly I like cycling again. I'm like... <laughs> and then we get to Germany and... Uh, we literally go around the corner and get into Germany and there's like 
everything in Germany changes. The terrain changes, the weather changes, our mood changes, our team changes. Everything changes in Germany. And I want to say this, this, the star of a vision isn't where the danger is, right? Because the star of the vision, you are close to your why, right? The danger of any vision is never at the start because you're like, God said, or I saw, or I believe, right? The danger of any vision is never really at the end, near Southampton where we made it, right? Because you're like, we're nearly there, guys. Come on, just a little bit further. Come on, go, go, go. The danger of any vision is always in the middle because it's where people leave. It's where people start getting grumbling. It's where the Eeyores come out. Oh, that'll never change. Oh, you'll never do that. Oh, two campuses, Pastor. No, we can't do that. Oh, three services. Oh, what? Are we here to reach people? Oh, do we really want to grow? Oh, no. Oh, you're asking us to give again? Oh, you're kidding me. Oh, gosh. Been on a rotor, been there, done that, you know. Hello. Asking me to like giving. Put my hand up, are you kidding me? Change the culture, actually be encouraging. What, do you read the Bible? <laughs> Sorry, was that a little bit too much? <laughs> was I just speaking out self-talk there? It's true though, isn't it? Right in the middle. It's where you start getting people going, do you know what? This far and no further. I wanna to speak to you as senior pastors right now. There are three types of people in this church. There are quitters, there are campers, and there are climbers, aren't there? The greatest mistake a leader can do is to lead to the quitters, to try and keep people in. Oh, don't leave. Don't leave. Please, we, don't leave. Don't lead to those people. Hey, if you're gonna leave, leave. We bless you. You are awesome. We believe in you, right? Don't lead to the campers. Oh, let's just stay in Germany. Germany's awesome. <laughs> Der Toten das Machen, du schön und sagt gebildet. Awesome. You've gone reach Germany. I believe in you. Lead to the climbers. We've got to get to Southampton. We've got a destination to go to. We've got a vision to build. We've got Liverpool to reach. We've got every single soul. There are still people I haven't heard about Jesus. We've got to grow this. Why not? Because we're building a crowd, we're building a movement. And this moment and lots of other moments will create momentum that creates a movement. Come on, I believe it right now. Whew, I feel like I'm preaching. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> the danger of any vision is always in the middle. And for me, Germany was the middle. I remember going around the corner and I, uh, <laughs> I saw, I mean, it was amazing, just going around this corner and uh, I could see something called a mountain. And as someone who doesn't, I mean, you look at me right now and you're going, Ben, you are an athletic person. I am not. Look, seriously, I would way prefer to go to Greg's than to get on a bike, okay? And I'd probably do two pasties. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm a double portion sort of guy, more Lord. And we go around and we see this mountain. I say to the guy at the bottom who's in charge of the route, I say, hey, buddy, how you doing? What's going on? We'll be going round the mountain. When she come on, buddy, we're going. We're, he says, no, we're going over it. I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. And then he, the cameraman came up to me and he pointed the camera in my face. He said, Ben, tell me what's on your heart. I was like, you do not want to know what's on my heart. It's nasty thoughts. He said, go on, Ben, tell me what's on your heart. And the only thing I could do, church, camera, mountain. 
If faith can move a mountain. Come on, Jesus, sing with me. Let the mountains move. Oh, come on. Jesus, you weren't singing with me. <laughs> if faith can move a mountain. Do you know, I learned something in that moment. God doesn't always move the mountains. Sometimes He defines you by them. There's so many problems in our world that Christians are sat at the bottom of and they're saying, God, move the mountain. But maybe God wants to use you to transform that. Maybe God wants you to realise that you are stronger than you think you are. You know, the power of a thought is profound. The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. There's something about your thinking that affects your attitude and your attitude determines the course of your life. Your thinking has power. You know, I want to say to you right now, don't believe everything that you think because it isn't always true. Some of you right now are believing what other people have thought over your life. The teacher that said something, the parent that said something, and you've adopted that as truth of your life. That ain't the truth. It might be something that's been said. And can I just say right now, be careful what you say because words have the power to create. And in you right now, your thinking affects your attitude and your attitude determines the course of your life. What are you thinking about? Because the Bible says this, His thoughts are higher than your thoughts and His ways are higher than your ways. That means you should start thinking His thoughts over your life rather than your thoughts over your life. I love the story of David and Goliath. I just love David. I think he's an amazing guy. You know, we still sing his songs. We still think about what his thoughts were because we read Psalms and there is a man that has spent time with the Most High and he's dwelt on the thoughts of the sovereign almighty God. And here he is, he's written all these Psalms and he doesn't even get invited to a battle. In fact, it talks about him bringing cheese. I love that thought, right? Not even invited. Have you got any Wensley tale, David? With cranberry, it's Christmas season. I'm so sorry, uh, I've only got gorgonzola. Oh, gorgonzola's absolutely nasty. Brings the cheese. How many of us feel like cheese boys, cheese girls? I feel like we're unequal to the task allotted to us, but we won't positively decline it. And here we are, and David starts listening to the grumblings of the Israelites and they're talking about Goliath and they're saying, Goliath is tall, strong, mighty, he's undefeated, all of which are facts. But David thought of things differently. Why? Because he spent time with the Most High. And when everyone else was speaking facts, he spoke faith. And he saw this, he, he saw the same things that they saw, but he saw it through the eyes of faith because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he said, who is this Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Oh, for a generation of people that think differently, right? If it starts with your thoughts, why don't we look at poverty? Why don't we look at exploitation and see it completely different when people say it's impossible that we are the people that say impossible is just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in the world that they've been given rather to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Impossible is a dare. Oh, for a generation of thinkers that think differently. A few days later, I was still in Germany. Turns out Germany is massive. And I was cycling through and we got to this mountain and it was literally like this. And I was, I was cycling up and I was, I was crying out for my mom. And I was like, mommy, 
my back was killing me and I was just about to give up and the weight, the pain was too much. And there's many times in Hope for Justice where I felt like that weight is too much. I mean, here in the UK, we've rescued children as young as three months old. We've rescued women that have serviced more men than I could ever tell you. Men that have been literally sold in front of themselves, haggled over and said, like, I'll pay three, you know, he's worth 300 pounds. I'm not paying 300 pounds for that person. Literally just the stories that we have in our organisation, the people that we serve are some of the most broken people. The weight of that is so hard. And I was up this mountain and I was sucked. I was was in so much pain and I felt like giving up. And I was reminded of that moment where Moses was asked to do something by God and he just flipped out. He said, did I give birth to them? Am I their mother? I'm not. Why am I responsible for them? Like Elijah was sat under that tree going, I'm done. It is enough. And God heard him and he said, oh, Moses, I get it. I hear you. Take 70 of the leaders that are known to you, bring them to me and I'll I'll put the same spirit that is on you and I'll I'll put it on them and I'll help you carry the load. You know, as I was just about to stop cycling, I felt this hand on my shoulder and it was my mate Jim. And I felt this hand on my other shoulder and it was my mate Gav. Mate, they were pushing me up the mountain, one-handed, in pain, screaming, but they wanted to help. I learned something in this moment. Some mountains aren't meant to be climbed alone. They're meant to be climbed with others. In this generation that we live in, we're taught to isolate ourselves. We're taught to, to handle our own problems. You've got this. You've got this. No, my friends, that's not how you were designed. The Bible says it is not good for man to be alone. Do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's something about isolation that actually makes you weaker than when you are in community. When you are standing shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. You know how we're gonna end slavery? We're gonna end slavery by doing it together. This isn't a one man mission. It's all of us standing shoulder to shoulder saying it is enough. The power of when we stand. A house divided cannot stand. But when we stand together, my friend, some of you are carrying things that aren't yours just to carry alone. In your marriage, in your finances, in your relationships, in what you've done with your life, that deep regret that you are carrying right now, my friend, that burden, it's meant to be shared because this is what the power of church is. We aren't just an organisation, we're a family. Standing shoulder to shoulder. Some mountains aren't meant to be climbed alone, they're meant to be climbed with others. A few days later, I was still in Germany. <laughs> I know, right? Could I get the keyboard player up? I need the keyboard. I can't land a message without a keyboard player. It's in the Bible. Um, next to uh, that, uh, you can't lead worship without skinny jeans. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer now, isn't it? You know what I mean? You've got it even more. I mean, you've got Jesus leading worship. I mean, <laughs> what happens to Jesus? We enthrone you, me. A few days later, I was still in Germany and I uh, actually, for the first time, I stopped cycling. And I, uh, my body was, I was being sick eight, nine times a day. I, I couldn't keep down the food. I felt absolutely broken. And there's only one time in the history of Hope for Justice that I've actually stopped. And it was a time where I got a phone call to my office and it was 
of a man that was doing the very things that we stand against um, in the northwest of England. And he said these words, your kids go to a great school, don't they? And then start to describe my children. I had to do something that day that I never ever wanted to do in my life, which was I had to phone my wife and I had to tell her we had to move out of our house and and I can't tell you the level of fear that I had because it's totally true. I get the privilege of speaking whether on the news or whether in like arenas and but I never thought it would come to my door. I never thought it would come to my kids. I never thought the impact would be there. And I remember I, I went away and, sorry, it's just a bit difficult to talk about it, actually. Mm. And I went away and um, I said to God, I said, God, where are you? You know, you know it says in Isaiah, it says, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness. And I felt like that it was almost invading my soul. And I said, God, where are you? And nothing happened. Nothing happened. I was like, God, where are you? Nothing happened. Days went by and I was scared and I was like, God, you said never will he leave me nor forsake me. And days and days and I was like, God, what are you going to do? And then I felt this question come to me. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I was like, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. He said, who do you think you are? I said, I don't know who I am. I, who do you think you are? And suddenly, like all the times I spent dwelling on the Most High, all the times that I spent thinking about His thoughts for my life, all the times that I spent on the teachings of the apostles, all the times I've spent reading the, the Word that became flesh, it came flooding back to me and, and came out of my soul. I'm, I am a son of the Most High. I am part of a kingdom that will never be shaken. I represent Yahweh. I represent the I am. I represent Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is present. I represent Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. I represent a God that is untamable, unstoppable. I represent Jesus who defied the odds, conquered the grave. I, he that is within me is far greater than he that is in the world. I represent a church that stands at the gates of hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I represent the light of the world and darkness cannot drive out darkness, but only the light of God can. Suddenly I remembered, I represent the Lion of Judah. I represent the creator of all humanity. I went back to the team. I gathered the team. We were only 10. I said to them, hey, they thought we were going to shut down. I said, we're not gonna shut down. We're not gonna even stand still. We're gonna open up a new office. And we launched a new office in Bradford. A year later, 110 people walked free. Why? Because we didn't stand still. There I was on my bike and I'd stopped cycling. My friend, he said, Ben, what are you doing? I said, Ben, I'm so tired, I'm done. He said, Ben, what are you doing? It's like, I'm done, man. I'm done. My body has given up. My soul 
My soul hurts. You know how many times I've, I've kept on pedaling? You know how many times I've kept on trying? I said, Ben, look up. Look up at the town that we're cycling through. I said, man, I am so tired. I'm done, Tom. He said, Ben, look up. Look up at the town. And I look up blurry eyes and I see this sign. He says, Ben, it's our turn. It's our time and our turn. Don't you dare forget who you're cycling for. You're cycling for the Emmas, for the Zoes, for the Maddies. You're cycling for the girls that are yet to be free. You are cycling for freedom. My friends, don't you dare forget who you're cycling for. Every time you do those events, every time that you raise your voice, every time that you get up and you go, we're gonna do abolition groups, I wanna say, don't you dare forget who you're cycling for because you are intrinsic to the heartbeat of Hope for Justice. Zoe was trafficked from Latvia to Southampton. She arrived there and in Southampton and she was met by a man who took her to a room and he presented her some underwear. And he, she said, no, no, I'm not here to do that sort of work. He laughed at her. And he said, no, you're here to do who I tell you to do and when I tell you to do. And there began Zoe's nightmare where she was trafficked all over the country, sold to man after man, town after town. So bad was the abuse that she decided to jump out the building and kill herself. But she didn't die. She bust a leg. And the man who saw her screaming in agony on the floor, he went down every single flight of stairs and he walked out the building, grabbed her by the hair and dragged her back into the building and up every single flight of stairs and then shoved her back on the bed for the next man to walk in. She didn't know who to trust because her best friend sold her into this. And so when our team eventually rescued her, she got into the car and I said, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if this is real, but I have one request and one request only, that tonight you don't abuse me because I just need a night off. When she gets to the aftercare facility, she's, she realises it's real and she turns to my team member and says, it's real, isn't it? It's real. Tonight, I'm not going to get abused. He says, yes, Zoe, it's real. And she bursts into floods of tears, sobbing and sobbing like a thousand abuses had left her and and then he says, you know what, Zoe? You're a princess. You're a daughter of the King. And she's sobbing and sobbing, literally like in so much pain. And then she lets out this whisper. I'm a princess. I'm a princess. My friends, I've come to tell you, you are stronger than you think you are. You can't do this alone. But it is our time and our turn. It's time to go again. If you sat under that tree, it's time to go again. Think better. Don't isolate yourself and get up. Don't sit under that tree. Get up because the world needs you. There are seats in this place to be filled. There are lives in our city that needs to be set free. There is purpose in this church. And I'm so proud that we get to partner with you as Hope for Justice. Today, I'm gonna to ask you to support us through our Guardian program. And we're just gonna play a video and then I'm, I'm gonna get up just quickly afterwards. But if you've got these on your seats, if you just wanna get them now and uh, just look at them right now, as you can see, you can sign up to be a regular giver for 15 pounds a month. 
And I want to say that that 15 pounds makes a massive difference. The only reason why we've been able to break down the largest gang is British history here in the UK is because you sent us. Because people like you in a building in an auditorium like this, in a church like this decided, yeah, we believe what you believe. The freedom is worth the fight. The justice is non-negotiable. We refuse to abandon the least, the last and the lost. This money will go towards fighting slavery on a monthly basis and not only here in the UK, but all across the world. If you wanna watch the screens of one of the people that you could help, this is what you can do by becoming a guardian. Thekla moved to Kampala after running away because her mother died. She thought she would meet her friends here that she'd known for many years, but she couldn't find them. Left alone and isolated in a city that she did not know, two men approached her, offering her a job and safe harbor. But these two men were full of false promises. They introduced her to sexual exploitation, violently exploiting her. After the men had finished using her and exploiting her, they literally threw her into a ditch. Thankfully, she didn't stay there. Because of a guardian, someone just like you, we were able to help her and get her safely into the Lighthouse program. As you sow your seed, someone else waters them. You may not notice how much you've done in someone's life. You may not notice the impact of how much you've invested in these children. But along the way, you realize that your work is not in vain. As a person, I also had so many lessons learned from Tekla. She was trying to tell me that, you know what, I feel like I need to go back to the streets. And I told her where you're going, life is so hard. You won't be able to make it from there. Stay here. And after the session, the nurse came and asked me, what did you share with that girl? Because we've been trying to talk to her, she couldn't listen. What unique thing did you tell her? All I assured her is we love her, we care about her, and we are committed to seeing her live a better life in the future. Vamos lá, 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 vamos
Well, here we are in one of our lighthouses here in Uganda. Uh, lighthouses are our short-term residential treatment centers to help victims of modern-day slavery and exploitation. We are so excited today because not only is one of the girls graduated, but actually we're doing one of my favorite things. We're gonna take her home. Just had an amazing moment where literally a girl that has been away exploited but is now back safely home and the greetings that her brothers and sisters gave her, her stepmom and her father gave her was just profoundly moving. What a great day. It might be tipping it down but today has been a monumental day for us and for her and for this family. There are so many children out in there. But we say thank you for all that you've given us. And we look forward towards delivering more to the children. Thank you. Today we're inviting you to become a guardian because there are literally millions more girls just like Thecla. A guardian stands up for the Theclas of this world. A guardian rescues them. A guardian restores their dreams. A guardian reforms society and prevents exploitation to end slavery forever. Become a guardian today and change the life of a girl just like Thecla.